0: Welcome to For The Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of For the Record. It's now episode eight of season two, and we have today a dear friend of mine, and a she's just a riot, frankly, guys. We're gonna do a lot of laughing in this hour. I am so pleased to welcome a gain trainer extraordinaire, part of Jin Now. She's a sculpture guru, helped launch Contour, a practice owner in Austin, Texas. I don't know, 10, 15 plus years in dermatology and aesthetics. She has not one, but two undergraduate degrees and a master's degree. She's a physician's associate, going back to get a PhD, and still looks fabulous every day of her life. So, welcome to our show, Sally Santos. Hello. We are so glad to have you here. It's like having um, your bestie on the podcast. Yes, you were with us at Aesthetic Next last year, year before. I've known you for I feel like a hundred years. Yes. So you and I are we're we're big friends. But I will tell our audience that the first trainer I ever saw in my entire life in aesthetics with sally it was circa 2015 you were in i think in austin perhaps or even in dallas i go to a training as a baby sales rep at galderma and i walk in there sally santos dressed in all black her hair is fabulous her lashes are long she's probably wearing like gucci or something uh, versace who knows and she is like injecting her little hands off guys and it was fabulous to see fast forward now many many years later and you've only gotten bigger but you're part of the og group of trainers And here you are today. So walk us through your kind of how you got to aesthetics and then we'll go into like owning your own clinic and all the different things about you. But let's start with who you are and what do you do all day?
1: Well, I'm a dermatology PA. I have 12 years of experience. Um, I never, ever wanted to be in aesthetics. Uh, My first job out of PA school was my last rotation. And it's with uh, Vivian Bukai, who's a dermatologist in practicing in Austin, in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I really just wanted to see acne patients and psoriasis learn how to navigate through. I was just a baby PA ready for it. Um, and she said, you know, do you want to do aesthetics? And I said, absolutely not. That looks terrible and tragic. I'll help you with yours, but I'm good to go. And she uh, philosophically said, like, you know, mark my words. Before you leave here, you're going to want to do this. And I thought she was crazy. I'm like, no way. So we used to go to pallet studies. I'm sure everybody's familiar with those. we go and she was a trainer and it's everything's kind of um, not in name brand. And she'd talk about neurotoxin, talk about fillers. I would help her set everything up. And there was a turning point one time. And um, there was an adult male physician, maybe in his late 50s, early 60s, just learning how to do injectables. He was injecting his wife, and they were doing lips. And so I'm standing kind of in the back just watching. She's walking him through it, and he's got, like, his hand on her face, and he's sort of, like, injecting but sort of covering this way. And she looks around and gives me the, come on, girl, like, look at this. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that, like, you can do this. If he can do this, you can do this. And so I said, fine. So coming back to to clinic, I said, sure, you can teach me how to do. Let's do neurotoxin. Um, And so she walked me through there. And little did I know how valuable that job came to be. Because as much as I wasn't interested in doing aesthetics, and I just wanted to learn how to be a good medical provider and walk patients through all sorts of disease processes, um, I actually watched Hours and hours and hours of live injections from someone who was so familiar with H.A. So remember, in those days we only had four different types of H.A. So all your artwork was beautiful but limited. Um, And she had been using these H.A. since the 90s. Um, So she went to med school and met her husband he was from Mexico City, and he took her back to Mexico City, and so she practiced there until 1999. These drugs did not come out until 2004. So when even she moved back to the U.S., she was still way ahead of the game, and her pictures were amazing. Um, and I think that really helped catapult me into something that I never foresaw. So fast forward, that's, you know, three and a half years with Vivian Bukai, and I meet my um husband who wasn't a patient. He was a drug rep. So it's good to network and know all the people. He was a drug rep for two seconds before he got laid off when GSK bought out, bought out Stiefel. And um, and he lived in Austin. I live in San Antonio. And I said, well, if I find a job I like, I will move. If I don't find a job I like, I'm not moving. And I met Dr. Daniel Carrasco. Um, to give you a background on him, he is a guru in all things psoriasis. He's been doing clinical trials since he was a Baby doctor. Um, He's in his fifties now, so he's knows all the things you need to know about biologics being medically aggressive, and and really helping patients who have not been helped, especially in the psoriasis population. And so he he didn't believe in PAs. He never had one. Didn't understand why anybody would see a PA, and he. I cold called him and in sales, you all are used to it. Like your little heart doesn't sit here in a cold call. You know, you're so used to it. You talk to people, you know, that back and forth as a baby PA who's barely learning to stand up for herself. You don't know how to cold call anything. So my good friends who were in, um, in uh, prescription sales said, go to his office. This person is sitting on the front on the right side ask for mention her name say you're here to see Dr. Carrasco so it looks like you're already at something or other and it totally worked I walk in and then here comes she's like don't tell the office manager and here comes the office manager and I'm like darn it I know who this is <laughs> but I got in I gave him my resume my little like heart is in my throat I met him a couple times um and and everybody said you know I tried to work for him he doesn't take PAs that's not a thing so he grants me an interview which is lovely um, I go back for an interview at his office. We're sitting in the lobby and he's just like, I just, I just don't know how you're going to grow your practice. And my best one-liner job um, was a turnaround. I looked at him and I said, I'm not, I'm going to grow your practice. And I kid you not, that was like my turning moment. This, I took a physician who never had a PA and he loves aesthetics and he's really great at them. But his strength really lies in biologics, clinical trials, that all the new innovative technologies. So um, I ended up getting a job with him. And so it was great. That dichotomous relationship I had with so much aesthetic and the aesthetic eye and growth with Dr. Vivi Bukai. And then fast forward to Austin with Dr. Daniel Carrasco, who's on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it really helped my understanding and it helped me grow. I was now more medically aggressive. I knew how to use all the drugs that were coming out. We knew about them before they ever came out. I would wash patients out and put them into trial. And if they didn't qualify, which was terrible when that was true, um, if it was a new innovative drug, like um, Dupixit was for Atopic derm, I would put them on a list, and the minute I knew it was out, if we knew it did well and it was an open label, then I would immediately put them on. So, fun fact I'm the first Dupixent script in the US, and I'm a little PA in Austin, Texas. Um, But it was great, it kind of helped me build that, and I just think having both of those perspectives really strengthens both of them so that you can. You know, you don't have to be just aesthetic or only this, or this is exactly what I do. You can still integrate it and it helps your critical thinking skills. So I guess I can talk for a lot. Long story short, there's no long story, but um, that's how I got to Austin. And then I met you. And the rest is history.
0: (laughs) We wish it were that simple. But no, you know... I want to go back, though, before we keep going, because I feel like as a person who employs other people, and obviously you're starting to employ people and you're in a medical spa, what you just said about, I'm not going to grow your practice, anyone who's listening to this, I don't care if you're a seasoned veteran, if you're new to practice, if you're new as an employee, like to tell someone, I'm going to add value to what you're doing all day long. I've had a really hard day here at AR. There's been a lot of things going on. And all I've heard is all the bad stuff all day. Someone to walk in and say, I'm going to add value to your day right now, make this better. And make you uh, make you better as a practice, as a business, whatever it is. Just give me the chance. Hired? Come apply right now. You're hired. (laughs) You can work for me anytime. Like, what a beautiful one liner, Sally. Where'd you come up with that one? Just like in the back of your mind. Oh, I don't know, but it's a
1: good one. It's one for the books. I was really excited about it, and we joke about it now because now he is very pro PA, and I couldn't tell you like how many people were like, "Oh my God, he hired you? He doesn't hire PAs." And I'm like. I mean, he, you're right, he didn't, but now he does, and he understands the value, and I took all the knowledge I had in my first job, and she was exceptional at um, networking, at knowing exactly how much things cost, and where they can grow, and, and using combination therapy for patient populations, and educating them on, yes, I'm going to put you on a bunch of things over time, but I'm going to explain why you have it, and if you don't want to, that's fine, but at least I'm giving you the option, and um, And so I would keep a running list. I wanted to show my value. So I wanted, I would show him, you know, every once a year when I renegotiated how much money I was making, my percentage, all the things, all the good stuff we want to have. um, I would show him, um, you know, my totals, of course, that's what everybody looks at. But I would also show him, you know, the relationships I had built with the different companies, the amount of samples that we had received and I kept track of everything so that I'm adding like he didn't have to do anything do you need something here's this do you want to do a training here's that um and then we did he open houses and he'd had some sort of like open house event before um but I just sort of built that and I even we had an issue like our parking garage is right by a hotel, a hotel, sorry, a hospital, and so it's not that easy in a medical building when you have your medical building here, you have to park over here, the hospital's there, you got to go all the way up, because these people, you know, got there at 6 a.m., you have to walk across, so for us, parking was an issue, and the reason I say that is I kind of altered the specials so that you would just have to call in. So just call in. We don't have to see you today because we're going to work around this not so amazing. Um, it's fine. It's, you know, GE is what I say, right? It's good enough. Um, but in, in order to do that, we could do that. We could make forty dollars to $50,000 in three hours. And then I would add the value, keep it on my running list. At the end of the year, he had zero problems giving me another week of vacation, another couple of percentage. Um, it was just so much easier to just show you. <laughs>
0: Well, with that being said, when did you, first of all, Vivian Bukai is like a legend. Let's just all take a moment to worship the goddess that she is, Vivian Bukai. She is incredible. She
1: is. And you know what's so funny? I don't think people, a lot of times when I'm training, and I know we'll talk about training later, but a lot of times when I'm training, I since we live through the translation and the the transition and the evolution of HA in the United States and what was approved first and why we did what we did and how we understood that and why we already made that kind of artwork and we've been through those mistakes. Oftentimes when I'm training someone who especially is, you know, zero to four, even five, and, um, you know, you think that everybody else knows what you know but I think she really helped me establish such a great knowledge base and an understanding of why and critical thinking skills and so that I can explain to you why you do what you do or why somebody trains you to do that. Because we did have to do that dependent on what the quality and the, you know, characteristics of the HA that we were using in that space.
0: Well, I will tell you, nerd moment. And by the way, guys, Sally's a big nerd, too. Don't let her fool you with her cute little voice and her great little hair. She's also a giant nerd who does loves FDA trials. But I spent the entire weekend building a rheology deck for a company that wanted to have gel science for their employees. So I spent my entire weekend on monophasic, biphasic, high molecular weight, low molecular weight. What does it mean in composition? What does it mean in cohesivity, and BDDE? And is it naturally cross-linked? Is it, you know, all these things? And I will tell you, having spent, you know, a solid 25 hours doing this, and I'm pretty good at rheology. I, I know a lot about it anyway. I was learning things that like, it made so many things made sense to me around products and even adverse event management and about, infl- you know, inflammatory risks. And it all came together like this moment, like the, like a beautiful mind moment. That, my goodness, to just know how to inject, what a disservice you're doing to your patients and to your practice long-term. Like, my God, there's so much information about gel science that I think unless you dig into it, unless you want to know, it, it's almost like an ambulance chaser. Unless you want to look, you don't see it, you know. But when you actually pull back the layer and you see it, like thinking about Lyft versus Voluma versus even a, you know, a Renova or even Quo, thinking about how Quo works, like there's just so much MOA that you you got to know what you're doing. You got to know how and why, because just putting the goo in the spot is not going to cut it long-term. Right now, with all these biologics coming in, using sculpture along with filler and PRP along with, you know, sculpture, and it just becomes a multiplicative risk. If you don't know what, how the gel should behave naturally, then now you're adding on more stuff. So I'll digress to say nothing more of that. Tell us your quote comment before we go on, because I have to know.
1: Oh, um, it was just that I don't think when people train you on certain things, they don't associate or make connections, right? And obviously, everybody loves sculpture. Sculpture is really big in certain cities, especially for body, for behind, for thighs, for all the things. Where do you put Quo? Body, behind, thighs, the things, right? Um, and sculpture builds collagen type 1, takes 13 weeks. Quo breaks down collagen type 1 and 3. So you kind of want to, it's important, like, do you have, how much sculpture do you have in your behind before you put that quo in there? And are we going to put the quo now or is it worth it? So it makes you change everything. So I do think you can't, too many people compartmentalize things, you know, that is that and this is this, even though you're putting them in the same space, where instead of thinking holistically or kind of globally to know how everything plays a role and relates to each other um, to make just the best outcome.
0: Well, I think that's neurotoxin one on one, right? People forget about the compensatory muscle. It's like, well, love those brows, but the side of your face is falling down because you killed the wrong muscle. Hundred percent. Kevin Harrington has a great lecture on that. He's like, great, you got to think about it. if I kill one, the other one that compensates for it makes you look like a we see this with this with the Spock brow, right? We we know this, we know the look very well, but we don't think about it oftentimes. But again, not a trainer, guys. Disclaimer, not a trainer. <laughs> but back to our lovely Sally Santos. So I wanted to tackle just before we go into like training and things. So you are getting a PhD. And I was just telling you, we were, t- we were texting last night. I have many friends here, PAs that are saying, gosh, I can't do a DMP. I don't have the nursing route, but I would love to have a doctorate. And we had Grace McLaren on early in the season. She did her DMSC, so Doctorate of Medical Sciences. And she loved her program. She did it during COVID. You've been doing your PhD for quite a while. Uh, I know I know the journey quite well. Walk us through What made you do that? What is even in so that our PA friends out there who are thinking about a doctorate know the path?
1: Well, I don't think I told you this until after I got in because you know how it is. You don't, you want to under promise and over deliver, right? So I mean, you don't, you don't tell anyone until you do the things. Um, So when I actually first met you, I thought you were such a powerhouse and such a, like a wealth of knowledge. You like came to conquer. You definitely have, I feel like I have a little Inside fire spirit and I feel like you have that too, which is great and I thought like wow look at this She's got a PhD. That's amazing Maybe I can get a PhD. Let me see what that's in and how that helps me grow. So I looked up all sorts of programs. Um, It does not behoove me to quit my job and go somewhere for years and do that. So obviously, it was going to be an online program. And you know me. I mean, good luck with my slide decks and all the things. I'm I'm 38, but I'm internally a little geriatric 65. So I was like, uh uh-oh, online? I mean, this may be amazing and tragic at the same time. So I looked up a couple different places and or programs, I should say, and I settled on a Ph.D. in health sciences. Um, And this particular program is mostly military. So I'm one of the few civilians in it. And I'm also the only medical provider who's ever in my classes. Granted, we're only like 11 people in a class or less. Um, But it was comical how I actually got in. So there's a physician at my old practice. Um, I say we kind of grew up together. So I joined Dr. Carrasco in 2013, maybe March of 2013. And then Aaron Gortzman joined slightly after, and he also has a, um, clinical studies background. He did a residency and a fellowship in clinical studies in dermatology in Houston. And that's how him and Dr. Carrasco met. So he joins our practice. We sort of kind of grew up together after that. And, um, up until last year, we were in the same practice for a long time, but Aaron is so, so well-versed and so thorough that I was like, you are going to write me a letter of recommendation because this is going to be amazing. <laughs> so I prep him, but you know, I don't want to give everybody, to, you know, I don't want to rush people. People are busy and I understand that. So I tell Daniel Carrasco, I'm like, Hey, can you give me a writer, Would you feel comfortable writing me a letter recommendation? Great. And he is on, you know, doing it. And so I prep Aaron, dr. Kortzman and and he I guess is very more efficient than I anticipated so I have all my ducks in a row and that you know you have to write this professional paper and it, it says turn in something from grad school but remember in medicine everything you write that you write out for patients is in a less it's not in a professional realm so I, I had to write a paper so I could turn it in with my application so I was still almost done with that I was just lining all my ducks up in a row and I was going to apply. Meanwhile, Erin gets on it, writes me this amazing letter of recommendation, sends it to my program, who is like, who is this? And I need to meet her. (laughs) So I go to lunch. I come back. I get a call. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. Well, thank you for being so efficient. But I was giving you a heads up, and I haven't applied yet. So this person is like calling me and really wants to talk about it because he doesn't know who I am because he has not seen his application come through his desk. So... I get on the phone. I'm calling him back, apologizing, saying, I'm terribly sorry. I mean, thank you so much. I'm so glad that Dr. Gortzman sent that to you. I have everything just about ready, but I don't think he realized that I had not actually applied to my PhD program yet. And it basically was a phone interview. So I didn't realize I was going to be interviewed for 30 to 45 minutes talking about my interests and maybe what potentially could be for a dissertation and their program. And it was so comical because – Now, I mean, it just started a spark. He was so excited. My interview that I didn't realize would be an interview while I'm sitting at clinic went so well. I turned everything in and he was just like, I don't understand why we will not take you. This would be amazing. We'd love to have you. You'll be the first PA we've ever had. Um, So it was such a good transition. But when I saw you later on and once I knew I was in, then I was like, hey, Tiffany, guess what? You know, you want to be in to be talking about it. I don't want to like set it up and then I don't get in and then we're all sad about it.
0: <laughs> but you got in, you've been working on it diligently, lots of coursework. And for those of you who have not done much PhD research, it's a lot of writing, a lot of technical writing, a lot of storytelling, and then more writing and then some more writing and a lot of coursework. And the dissertation is about what, 110 to 200 pages, depending on what you choose your topic on. So do you have your topic all nailed down? Are you ready to go? I
1: do. And I'm actually mad about it. So I had this idea to go to get something of some sort years ago. I just, I didn't pull the trigger until a little shortly after. Um, and so my idea, Galderma sort of beat me in my idea, except for they don't have, they have novice people in their study. So I was going to do something on the psychosomatic effects of neurotoxin in the advanced aesthetic patient, meaning neurotoxin in general, one we already know a lot about it as we use it, and it's great. And I'm love. I'm more excited that my dissertation will teach me about, will make me teach myself about all the tiny details of neurotoxin that no one has ever wanted to know, along with the history and all the things associated. But in general, especially post trial, we know, you know, we know the dosing, we know how much active ingredient there is, we know. Um, the mechanism of action. We know duration. I mean, we've had studies on all sorts of things, but what we don't know is what the patient turns that into. Like, why do it? Because you don't have a line? That's great. Good. No line. Fantastic. Now what? So I basically want almost a verbiage or perspective from patients, and I want to know how that helps you in your life. I mean, obviously, you know. Neurotoxin and aesthetics in general, when you know, when the world hits the fan, you know, maybe you won't be doing those things. So they are a luxury, and I'm not saying they're necessary. So I'll preface it with that. But um, but I do want to know what what that patient is thinking and feeling and kind of what best words associated with that. You know, does it help your relationship? Do you feel like it helps your career? Does it help you advance in any sort? Do you feel like it gives you more self-esteem? And I think, you know, oftentimes when you look better you feel better when you feel better you you can be a better member of society you can build more you can expand you know so i just want to know that from the patient's perspective but also i want them to be able to disassociate from the pain of a needle right every novice person is like i don't want any it hurts it all hurts i don't think i like it yet and then and then you get you know, people who okay now don't hate it, but they realize that they like it for a reason. Um, so I kind of want to expand upon that so that one day I can tell you, yes, we know it takes away lines, this is super great, but here's what I think it does for maybe women in different populations and different age groups, right? What does it do for a 20 year old versus like a 55 or 60 year old? How about a married woman versus a divorced woman? I mean, I don't know, there's so many ways you could break that down. Um, but it'd be nice to to have that information and see how we're affecting people almost on a psychosomatic mental capacity.
0: Okay, now you've piqued my interest. <laughs> now <laughs> we can begin the podcast. Okay, I oh. have three things to say. and and
1: I will be calling you <laughs> when we're this summer, when we are going to... I think we need a glass of wine and dissertation talk. We
0: do. And for our practice owners in the, in the room... In the back, so a couple of things to think about all the time as a as a person who works, you know, in med spas but not in med spas, is I feel like getting toxin is like losing your virginity. It has the same significance in your life. You remember right now, any of you listening, the moment that you lost your virginity, we all do, right? It's like one of those things that you know. You just know it. It didn't make you any different the next day. Well, I mean, there are obviously situations and we won't go to that. But, you know, if it was a positive experience for you, you weren't any different the next day as a human, but you felt different, right? You were a woman or a man, whatever the thing is. I feel like getting toxin is the exact same way. You don't really care what it does for you. You care how it made you feel because you did it. Like there is an, an instant part of you who's like, oh, I've become one of them now. I've become that group. I'm I'm one of those people. And something about that, no matter if the result was good or bad, is captivating for you as a human. For me especially, I know it was. Because I wanted to be part of this this in crowd. Be like, oh yeah, I care about how I look now. Because I really didn't at the time. But it made me feel like I was part of that group. I think that's one part of it. Second part is, we say this all the time in aesthetics. I believe it in my whole heart. People will take a less good result for a way better experience. They'll be okay corrected to have a wow part of reality, you know, part of their life with a clinic versus a badass result in a (laughs) clinic to go to. They don't care as much about how good they look as they do about how you treated them, how the practice made them feel, being a VIP, being part of, again, the group, being part of this select few that get, you know, that get the the treatment that isn't on the market yet. You're the first one to get it, all these things. People care about that stuff far more than we think that they do. And it is what drives their decision making all the time. Third thing I would say is that the idea of getting anything done, it's like this this whole thing where you spend your money. Like I'm investing in me. I think there's a part of it that tells me that I gave a damn this morning because I spent money last week getting my toxin done. Like I'm doing enough. Don't you see it? I'm investing in me. Don't, I don't go to the gym. I don't do this, but I, but I have toxin. Like I'm doing enough. Let me, let me be. I think there's also some part of it that gets us out of jail free because we get our toxin done. Like there's all, I think about this all the time. Like if you're a practice owner, how do you market to those things? Like what part of those like face cue things do you look at and say, huh, I could market to that. I could monetize that idea. So anyway, I think it's important. I think it's a a big part of what we do here, I think, the outcome of the actual drug working, in many cases, is far less significant than what it does for somebody emotionally. So I want to read this thing right now. Let's get let's get to writing, sister. Let's do it today.
1: I know. Well, it'll be this summer. So I'm on my second to last class. Um, it ends in this month, end of this month. So I have one more class. Obviously, still linking research something or other. And then um, and then we will ponder because I definitely, I have so many ideas and I need to like map them all out and then hone them all in. But I will say, you know what's, um, what was a challenge for me early on? It was the transition between learning how to be so, so concise. So medicine teaches you how to put everything, break English, put it, you know, 24 Y O N P new patient F female presents for, And in three sentences, I can tell you what it is. Um, so from going from that to writing two 10 page research papers is a whole different transition. So I really had to, it, my poor professor probably thinks it's comical because whenever we would have a discussion or a question, he would ask five, you know, questions and I would have five paragraphs with very concise answers, like straight to the point and concise. And then I'd read everybody else's and they were so long and I was like, oh, well, here's that. I need to merge there somewhere, right? I can't only do, um, what I'm comfortable with. So honestly, it's sort of comical, but one day I was like, you know, I need to just get out of my own head because I'm so used to being concise in general and concise and correct, you know, and not floral is what I call it. You know, I'm not a very floral person in general. Um, I can talk a lot. So I'm like, maybe I am, I don't know. Um, But I had like a glass or two of wine and I was like, I'm going to read everything because, you know, you can't just sit down and write a research paper. You got to read all the things first. So just prep time before you do it is a couple hours and then you got to go for it. So I had two glasses of wine. I had already read all the things. I know what I'm going to say and I'm just going to go for it. And I sort of vomited on the page. And then I went back and it was actually pretty darn good. And I'm like, see, I just need to get out of my own head and out of my own very systematic, used to medical concise feel and and be a little more floral without being wasteful because I don't need extra words that don't matter.
0: Well, that's why it's called doctor philosophy. There is no right and wrong in philosophy. It's all hypothetical. It's all proposed and it it is all a hypothesis, right? A dissertation is a hypothesis, like this could happen, this couldn't happen. We're either going to reject it or accept it. We don't know why or if it did or if it didn't. We just either accept or reject. It's a very weird thing. Person like me, I'm very much a science-minded yes and no person. It was very challenging for me of like, wait a minute, this isn't, there is no right answer here, but that's the beauty of dissertation. So I agree with you, but I'm glad that you got out of your own head. Yes. A a few glasses of wine is great for writing. Oh, so good. Anytime. If you live in a state that's legal, have a little bit of, you know, Mary Jane, it also helps I hear. (laughs) whatever pick your poison whatever it is yeah but moving on from that so let's talk about the transition of that too because you were in a practice working you start this project this whole program then you decide to open your own practice so now fast forward to we were talking about you opened Ella Medical Aesthetics kind of around ACL so Austin City Limits for you guys who aren't Austinites Mm -hmm. but then you really kicked it off full-time in December so what, what made you decide to open your own practice and As you did that and kind of started thinking through that were you ever like a nervous wreck about oh gosh I just took on this dissertation this PhD and now I'm gonna go be a new owner of a business Give us your mindset for all that
1: I will say I don't know I kind of love a challenge and I love a full plate and just when I think my plates not full I feel like I can do a hair more, you know, my my CrossFit coach was like, you know Aim for these goals and then when you take something off your plate, I'm looking at her like when when am I going to take anything off my plate? I'm not going to take it. I was like, I don't know. We'll try. I think maintain sounds good. Um, but basically, um, if, if everything had stayed the same as when I came to Austin and joined and I was still part of a private group and in a smaller practice, I would have absolutely loved and retired and stayed there and been great. Um, but you know the trend that has happened in general in a lot of practices, and especially in the world of dermatology, and how investment firms have been buying up clinics. And so you know, at first we all thought it'd be maybe a good option, maybe better advertising, you know, and I was okay with the transition, especially because I was so busy um, and busy with GAIN, with Galderma training, busy with my PhD program. And then um, there was one meeting that I remember going to, and I want to say it was in Dallas. So it was probably Jen now. And I remember walking in the room, and the first person that walks up to me said, hey, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you. I'm like, nice to meet you. And they were I think there were 20 before, and now there's like 30 or some. And she said, well, how many clinics do you own? And I was like, own? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, none. I'm a, you know, I'm a Durham PA, and, I, and I'm a Ph.D. student, and I'm obviously a trainer like everybody else in this room, you know. So I was like, well, how many clinics do you own? And she's like, 3 I'm like, oh, well. That's amazing. You know, what state are you in? You know, and these people are from all over the place. So I think at that point I realized that I was in a different room. And it was fun because I was like, well, I mean, I guess everybody here is bringing something else to the table. We all have a little bit of a different background. Um, But that was kind of the beginning of like, hmm, maybe I should open my own practice. I don't know. I mean, sounds like a good idea. I feel like it would be feasible. Um, And then Fast forward, and a couple of things sort of played on each other. And I feel like the waters parted. And if I didn't take this opportunity, I would be missing out. So I knew I had a great patient base. And it was comical because I was a little bit mad initially that we never advertised. We never advertised. We're all word of mouth. We have maybe like couple of signs here or something if someone asked us to do something, but we really don't advertise. And, and I didn't like that at first, but now I realize that's amazing. Cause that means that every one of my patients knows each other with at least one degree of separation, right? Everybody knows someone. So as long as some people follow me, then everybody can follow me. Um, and so I ended up looking for some space. Um, I found, uh, my non-compete, Uh, This is comical because this is why also I love my old boss. My non-compete was two miles, two and a half miles. Um, I wrote my own contract with my friend who's a contract attorney. So whenever they had the transition for the company, mine rolled over and I did not sign the new company's contract. So they almost that, you know, last year sometimes said, you know, Sally, you're going to have to be on our contract. And I was like, I'm okay, I'll walk. No problem. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm great. So, you know, never felt that kind of pressure. So it's super important. Make sure you have an amazing attorney who looks, who's in your best interest, who will help you walk you through that. Um, Because my really good friend is a contract attorney for a very um, large firm and she's an equity partner. So she obviously is not doing this on the side for a whole bunch of people, but I pay her in sparkling wine. It's the best thing I ever did um, because that got me a two and a half mile non-compete. I'm 3.1 miles from my old practice. So I found a space. I um, was going to just paint and do some flooring, very minimal. Um, I, I had a friend who was um, a real estate, a t- a real estate agent, and she turned me on to someone who does commercial properties. He was great at negotiating and kind of over, um, like knowing what to ask. How long, you know? Maybe I do ask for 120 days that I don't pay rent so that, you know, so that I can build, Um, just maximizing on my side. You know, we asked for TI, which is tenant improvement. And he was like, hey, I overshot it and asked for $20 a square foot. And he came back with 10, which is more than half the budget I was going to do. So I was like, that sounds good to me. 10 and I don't have to pay rent for the first couple of months. Fantastic, you know. So it was just a, a good kind of alignment of like, you know what? I think, I think it's time. I felt like I was like getting not pushed out because that sounds terrible. I wasn't getting pushed out, but I felt like I was kind of not in, I, I felt like there was something missing, right? This could be better in so many ways. You could have Versace chairs in your practice and like fun things and a beautiful chair and some flowers and crystal to serve all your things in, you know, I don't know. I just felt like the The possibility was there and so endless. And I was just, maybe I felt limited. That's probably the better word. So um, find the space, renovate, that he helps me get um, some of that in. And it was a funny story. My poor husband, like, I put him through the ringer last year. And he's here for it because he's real excited about it. But last year was a great year for us, as ridiculous as it was. Um, Killed it with gain. Maxed out on that. Gain helped me keep kind of helped that transition. I quit my job. I opened a practice. um, And before I opened a practice, I took him out one of the days where I stayed home and he went out so I could write my research papers, finished everything, turned it in. And I said, don't don't go out too late because tomorrow I'm going to take you to go look at this lake house I'm thinking about because I want to be on vacation in like 40 minutes or less. I'm tired. I don't want to fly. And I want vacation in like a short amount of time. So meanwhile, in all this craziness, I, um like, take him out there. It's storming. He's like, I can't believe we're going to look at a lake house. And it's storming outside. And it's a Sunday. And I'm like, yep. So we go out, look at a lake house. He's in love. I like it. But he's in love. And I just wanted somewhere that we could be that didn't include flying. That would be, like, a good, you know, breakup from the craziness of world and all the things. So in the mist, we buy a lake house. And so I'd intended to op- uh, t- take out a business loan and I couldn't because you know how it is when you're trying to close on a house. You can't run your credit. So he was like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't run anything. And I'm like, nothing? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to take from my money that I have in my savings and I'm going to just put it on myself. So I will be debt-free. And this is how much money I have. I'll make it a loan to myself and I'll give myself like, Two years to pay myself back, even if I do it in increments. I'm okay with that. It was money I had. It didn't need. It's just there. I'd saved it, paid off my student loans, I don't know, in 2019 or 18. Um, and so then I proceeded to open up a practice. And I'll tell you why I'd started my soft opening right before ACL or that whole week. Um, because as everything was going, my money from my initial investment and the, and the one from Um, the TI you actually don't get until later. So it was really just me in my bank account was just going down and down and down. And you really don't think it's that much until you're in the mist. And I'm like, whoa, I'm down to mm, $4,000. And I quit my job and I need to see patients. So we're going to (laughs) open, soft open, baby open. I mean, there were people hounding me on Instagram that I was like, I know. I know. I'm sorry. So those are the first people that I was like, I'm going to get you in. Let's do one patient an hour just to kind of, you know, get the flow. You know, me and technology, we added AR and, you know, building it was great, but learning how to use it is just, you know, I just, am not that fast at it, but now I understand because I can do it better than any staff member in my office. So, you know, just wanted to kind of grow into that. Um, but honestly, it's the best decision I've ever made. I mean, you have no one to blame but yourself, right? And putting that challenge on yourself and I know that I can I can negotiate, you should have seen me. I was also a um, contractor, I fired my first contractor, I speak Spanish, so I came in here with nothing, right? No jewelry when I come do contract work. And maybe a bun and really gnarly hair. Uh, Cause I'll wait until they say something about me or something and then I'll answer in Spanish to negotiate. So it was great, I mean I felt like it challenged me in so many different ways. Um, but I wanted to make a clinic that I want to want to be at. I want to come here. I want patients to want to come here. I, w- I think details matter. I think, you know, when you're, I mean, all these things are so expensive. You know, when you're paying for something, you want people to hear you. You don't want to feel rushed. You want it to be easy and, and you know, yet, yes, like some sense of luxurious. But my old boss is kind of funny. He basically just said, Sally, you need to open the Neiman Marcus of clinics. I'm like, I can do that. So it's been amazing. And I'm not mad about it.
0: (laughs) Well, and let's just note that you're in one of the most expensive markets in America, one of the most competitive, I think there's a med spa on every corner of Austin. And you're like, you paid yourself back what in a couple months, you're able to take a salary and and recoup your money and like, be able to actually take an income from the practice, which I think is remarkable, because we know as business owners, come on the show even and talk about it, it. Sometimes it takes a year, it takes two years to make any money at it. But you know I think the part of it that's really, I don't know, neat, unique is that you kind of did it all by yourself. You're just like, I'll figure this out. Because I think real estate is so often underappreciated as a struggle when you start a practice. Like you got to find a building, you got to improve a building, you got to do the contractor work, you got to figure out the freaking light fixtures. And You're used to buying for your home. Now you're buying for a corporate office. So there's a whole different, the price goes up like 10x because it's for a business, right? We know that. And you go to Home Depot on a corporate credit card versus on your personal, everything gets more expensive when you're a contractor. And people undervalue how much you need to know to protect yourself. You mentioned contract law. You have to protect yourself because I will tell you my dad's a contractor, so I mean this with full, you know, empathy. They will screw you six ways to sideways because that's just what they do. They're used to coming and doing a job and running away, and, you know, half the things don't get done. And, you know, luckily I was not raised that way, but it happens a lot. And so I kind of grew up knowing you have to button it up as a contractor always. you got to do your P's and Q's. People who don't know that get taken advantage of, and they pay out the wazoo and have nothing to show for it when it's over. So, thank God you knew better and you were able to negotiate. And I think speaking Spanish, I'm sure was very helpful in those moments. Like, ha-ha, I hear what you're saying. I hear you. Yeah. A minute. I will
1: say also, growing up
0: in South Texas,
1: I mean, I think I was always pretty savvy. Like, I'm a savvy shopper, yeah. and yes, I love all the fun things, but I also love not paying full price for all the fun things, you know, unless I really, really, really want it. And so it really helped me to make things on a budget. You know, do I love their and ball paint? Yes. Do I love Gucci wallpaper? Uh-huh. And I'm putting it in, yeah, in the tiniest bathroom, you know. Um, I almost did marble on the floor, and I'm like, the ROI on that is really not good. So how about we compensate and do just black? You know, but there were people I fired my first contractor. He just didn't know it. I mean, if, if you see a red flag, it's a red flag. I immediately had another guy lined up, ready to go. Um, I fired a floor guy who um somehow opened the door, didn't show up, and then and said I wasn't here. And I was like, You didn't tell me you need to be here. You need to tell me I don't give anyone keys. I also know not to pay people until that something is done. You can put a down payment if I'm like talking about a supply or the flooring, but I'm not paying you until it's done and done. And that saved you. And I think, you know, anybody who's had a house experience, just, you just, you definitely, nobody's in it to win it with but you. So you really have to be right on top of that. I mean, it's just micromanaging, which it's a strength and a weakness of mine. But the fact that I also didn't have to be at a full-time job when I was doing this and I could be training at the same time, was perfect. It just kind of all aligned and everything worked out together, which was great. And I don't know. I just think, I think you, you just have to make it work. I think a lot of people um, hit adversity and are kind of chill and are uncomfortable. And I feel like I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, I can easily, you know, for example, I went to California last Ooh, Thursday for a training. I show up to the airport. You know how they make all your plans, and one of them's on Air Alaska. I don't never fly on Air Alaska, so I don't know. Um, I show up at 5.50 in the morning, and I go up to Air Alaska, and my flight's canceled. Okay, Great. And then I call the, you know, call the travel people. No one answers because probably, you know, it's 5 something in the morning. And and maybe their 24-hour person's just not answering. I don't know. So I'm standing there and I'm like, well, I mean, I could be defeated and go home. Or I can see what else I can do. So I just look on Southwest, figure it out, text all the people and be like, sorry, it's, you know, 4 o'clock a.m. your time. But my flight's canceled. No one told me. And now I'm on this flight. See you in a bit. <laughs>
0: Problem solved next problem <laughs>
1: Problem solved I definitely think you have to have a like can do mentality if you're someone who 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 just thinks things are hard you can do hard things you know I mean I can't tell you how many crates I have unpackaged when open wood and move these fun chairs in you know it's it's not unattainable it's just where there's a will there's a way hundred percent.
0: Well, there's a great book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And Justin Harper actually recommended it to me many years ago. He's like, this is a book you're going to love. And it's just about that. So the the whole book is about everything is hard. Everything. Like getting up in the morning is hard. But if you completely shut down when things are hard, you will never be able to do anything. Think of all the fun you will miss. Because things are hard. Think of all the growth, the revenue, the income, everything in your life because things are hard. It's like getting over the fact, what you just said, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. Like being okay when everything around you sucks big to say it's going to suck in the minute. But next year, I won't even think about it. Next month, next week, whatever. I'll be done with it. It'll be over. It'll be a new hard. This hard will be so minor at that point. I have to think about that a lot, even, you know, in my day-to-day as a mom, you know, while I don't have lake houses, I wish I did, and a practice <laughs> well, to I run. Said, I'm like, I have you to
1: pay for it. We're going to see.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, trying to be a mom, fit everything in, like everything is, you know, everything feels some days just so hard. Yeah. And I think, res- I, we mentioned last week with David Stott, resilience, like my word every year, you know, have a yearly word, my year, every, word every year is resilience. You got to be able to take a punch in the gut a bloody lip a broken nose and get back up and keep fighting like that's just the world is an mma ring Right, you choose to either be the one that gets knocked down and be the victim Or you go kick somebody's ass like well, who are you gonna be today You got to pick that every morning when you wake up in the morning decide who you're gonna be and just go be it And don't let anybody talk you out of it. So i'm I Know you enough to know that you love when things are hard and you love challenges You're like you're like keanu using the matrix and he puts his hand out and like tells the guy to come at him. Like that's sally santos in a nutshell <laughs>
1: Well that's how I feel about I mean a lot of things you know I mean it's almost twofold well um there's also there's so many components right one I feel like I'm I'm a Hispanic who has a very fiery inside and so my knee jerk reaction for everything is to go for the jugular which I know is not socially acceptable so I think you can be a very um influential what's the word maybe like highly
0: persuasive? I don't know. Where are you going with this? But
1: um, that learning how to control, like being someone with a raging fire who is under stern control is, is such a gift. You know, the gift is anybody can go crazy and just let things go and freak out in the moment. Learning how to control it and use your, like, like fire in the belly, for lack of better words, to your advantage is so helpful. And then being gracious and being grateful for every opportunity you have, because it's all about perspective. If you can just look at something and think about, I mean, I think I was telling you one of my slide decks gave out and I'm in front of 200 of my peers, along with a bunch of other people who are amazing presenters. And, and, you know, I have two choices. I can either, Stand there, be awkward, say weird things, and and be nervous and cry or something. I don't know. I don't cry. But any of those things? Or I can choose to just move on. Like, I can do this. I know this thing like the back of my hand. Let's just have a conversation. And it's not the end of the world. And every one of those tears just sets you up for the next one and the next one. So I, I do. I kind of welcome it. Every time I go into a training and someone hates something, I'm like, tell me all about it. Why do you hate it? Let's talk about it. You know, because basically I want you to critical think. I want you to know, think about what you're doing. Think about why you're doing it. And then think about why you feel the way you do because of the choices that you've made. And, and anything, but I'm um, talking specifically in
0: HAs, you know. Or why you believe that if it's only because someone told you that one time on a podium. I love when people, I've heard you ask this actually on a podium last year to Aesthetic Next. You ask um, Dr. Endeva. Why she didn't like something, or why she likes? It. You're like, huh? Tell me why you like that. And I think she got to her in her own mind at the end of that conversation of like, maybe I should try something different next time. Like, I think she talked her she talked herself into it, only because you posed a question of like, huh? Why do you believe what you believe? Like, I'm curious as to how you arrived at that decision. So I want to talk about you being a trainer for a minute because we were discussing this last night on text message, uh, Sally and I. I have been in the position where, you know, you're hiring trainers who are brand new coming in and they are so desperately seeking to be approved, to seek your approval as, you know, Gain, Allergan, whatever the company is, that they're like, yeah, send me anywhere, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, whatever you want me to do, I'm here. And you don't learn how to stick up for yourself and how to be in charge of a training until you've done it quite a bit, unless you've been doing private trainings on your own for many years. You don't know how to walk into practice and say, uh, uh, I'm not doing it You're not safe or this is not the right look or your aesthetic and my aesthetic are so different I could never help you because you're creating Cartoon characters here and i'm not about that life but you have, I think, from the very since the minute I met you, which was you know many many years ago, you've always had that swagger to say, uh uh-uh, uh, here's my line in the sand and I'm not crossing it. So I want you to tell our audience a little bit about how they get that, how they stick up for themselves, get the training in order to get it on the right track. Because many of our people are trainers or want to become trainers, and you do it with a smile on your face and a dagger in their heart. So tell us how you do it. <laughs>
1: I definitely think. I mean, maybe I picked that up from uh, Dr. Bukai. I don't know. I picked a sure a lot of things up from her, including a style, black on black, for sure. Um, I do think, you know, I think having a certain amount of confidence, being well versed in all of the material, just I actually love training because I love it. I love the challenge. I love. I love to almost debate in a healthy manner because. Because you really can get to how someone does something because they believe in a certain thing and their belief is wrong. So I almost feel like an attorney half the time because I just basically want to show you, I sort of want to prove to you why I'm right and you're wrong, but I want you to say it because I want you to say something that's wrong and I want want you to know that you're wrong. which sounds terrible, but it's true. Um, I do think, so when you're walking in a space, remember that when you're walking in a uh, training, like for example, like this is my practice, right? When you're coming in here, you're coming into my space. And it's the same thing when it comes to other things. You're the you're the guest. They feel comfortable. Um, you kind of have to read the room. And I think you can certainly start off with obviously a smile and like a good good interaction and being nice. Um And then you have to get to the nitty gritty, you know, because oftentimes you have to remember you don't know where these people are, even if they say they've been practicing for eight years or 12 years or since the day of collagen, you know, um, sometimes they say that, but nobody ever questions them. And then they really don't have a good, good basic understanding. So I think asking questions is a big one, listening and asking questions and then, and then asserting yourself when you have to, because just like when the patient's in the room and you're in charge and you basically command the room and without being overly assertive, but, you know, command the room so that everybody knows there's this is the presence and basically you're in charge, right? I'm the keeper of all the fun things we're going to do today. If I agree with you, we're doing them. And if I don't, then we're not. And here we are. And it's an understanding without even being set. So for example, if I have a patient, so they already told me, um, you know, this, this person we're going to go see, she does not like so-and-so and she, as you know, you have to go through her to go to the, to see the doctor and you know, she's been doing this for a long time. And I was like, no problem. What does that mean for me? That means that I have to dominate the situation in the most productive professional way Essentially, ping on the floor, which sounds terrible, but um, but really, so that she understands where I'm coming from and she knows what we're talking about. So, for example, I walk in. This person um, does not have uh, a medical degree, which nothing wrong with that. But she said, "I've been doing this for so long, so so long, ever since the days of college." And I said, "Oh, really?" She's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Which one was your favorite?" And I just stayed. And I'm happy being quiet. I'm here for it. And so you just kind of, you can also use silence to your advantage. Um, If you're comfortable being uncomfortable, and it only takes like a couple of times doing it before you're like, no problem, I'm just going to sit here and smell until you answer my question. Um, Give them a nice long pause, like longer than you would feel comfortable, like right when you start to feel itchy. And then they realize that like, you haven't been doing this since the days of collagen because you don't remember the names of the things, right? So what have you been doing? Maybe you've been working here, which is not wrong. So then I proceeded to say, you know, let me, ha- um, if you want to, how about you all introduce yourself so I can know, you know, your background, where you're coming from, what we're going to talk about. And so I let them introduce themselves. And then I introduce myself. And and normally I don't have to do that in a room, but if you, if it's someone who who, not that they're not afraid of her, but like if it's someone who you're going to meet confrontationally and she doesn't like these products and she's not doing it, I mean, she obviously just doesn't know. So I proceed to tell her, you know, my name Sally Santos and I've been GPA, GBA, practicing for 12 years. And yada, yada. And I have this degree, that degree, that degree, whatever, all the things. And normally you don't say that. But I think when you, like, command the room in a very professional manner, you get so much more respect off the bat. So now, I promise you by the end, she was like, oh, what's your Instagram account? Oh, yes. You know what else, girl? Let me show you this and that. And so now they were like, oh, my gosh, she likes you. And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, I know, personal challenge. Like, that's my goal, you know. And it's not about, I mean, dominate the room. Is that the way? I mean, what would you call that? It's kind of, I mean, just like you are in patient population, you cannot let the patient dominate the entire scenario. You really have to take control because that's what you're here for. You're here. You're the trainer. You're here to help kind of expand um, their knowledge. But really, you need to get to know the person, assess where they are on that scale, and then help them expand from wherever that is with whatever challenges that come. You know, for example, like I I had another one. She said, you know, I... Um, I use wrestling, kiss, and this didn't work at all. And I was like, okay, well, how old is this patient? And how many syringes were used in trial? Do you know the answer? No. Okay, well, the average age was 55. The average amount was 1.9 cc's. How old is this patient? 60-something. Okay. Does she grind her teeth? I don't know. Did you did filler anywhere? I don't know. I just didn't have it anywhere else. And I said, okay, well, what did you use instead? Refine.
0: Not a choice.
1: No. So you know what I mean? Like, here you are. Like, she's already not understanding the first concept. And then now she just made a poorer choice. So getting in their head to help them learn to critically think, to realize that what you said is wrong. And let's assess why this patient, you know, is not doing well on your choice of things. Um, But I welcome it. I think it's great. I definitely think just the interaction and being very factual, using overtly um what's the word overtly like like a lot of imagery you know when i say something they'll say <clears throat> the first training was a physician um not too long ago and she said you know we have a patient we're going to do nasal labial fold and lower face and i was in my head i'm thinking the hell we are let's see what this lady looks like you've been aging for a 3 decades. You need a lot more. So I walk in and I'm like, that's lovely. You certainly could do this, but that's called 2010 where we only looked at the anterior portion of the face. And at this point, you're going to make her look like a bulldog because this, you know, I like really push it forward, fill this out, show how full. So words like decade, bulldog, you know, just skeletor with like that lightning on the side, you know. Just those kind of words can really help um, make people visualize everything, so that you and un- they understand what you're saying, even if it's obviously not overtly a Skeletor,
0: <laughs> or Marge Simpson, or Mud Pie, or all the other fun things that you like to say.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good! I mean, you just have to. It's so great because once you can get them to see what they're talking about. Like I, I did have a patient come in, and this is this is just. Great. It's like the perfect example. So I'm training someone. She's been doing this for eight years. So at this point, I'm thinking, you know, we're like riding together through this, you know, adventure. And um, she has the patient come in and every all of us know this patient. This is the patient you have to dominate. She's a little slightly crazy. You can listen to her, but you have to command and decide what you're going to do on her. She can't decide for herself because if it's up to her, she's going to be crazy looking. And so she's high energy, super slim, like works out a million t- miles a day, only wants lip filler, no filler on the lower face. So she's, you know, thin here, too big here. And she's got all sorts of um, filler (laughs) migration, um, her cheeks are bigger than they've probably ever been in their whole life. And her Botox doesn't work. And she's like, I have tons, tons of Botox doesn't work tons, just put more tons. And I was like, how much is tons? And she's like, what? I'm like, well, you said you have tons. Let's quantify that. How much is tons? It needs to be in relationship to something. And she said just so much, just a lot. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. okay, so how much is that? Let me see that chart, you know? So I go pull up the chart, the person gives it to me. Guess how many units she has in her glabella. Fifty-five year old.
0: If it's on label, I'll just die. If it's Botox, tell me. It's, tell me she has at least like thirty-five or forty.
1: Twelve.
0: Oh well, hell doesn't even count.
1: <laughs> tons, just tons. You see what I mean? I'm like, no, you don't have tons. You're silly. I was, so then I asked the person, "What's the FDA approved dosing for neurotoxin in glabella?"
0: If you're asking me, it's twenty.
1: I know. But I'm not, I'm not training even for Botox. And I'm, like, asking her a question because you need to know all the things. It's not my responsibility to teach you all those things. You should know them yourself. Um, So what is she doing? I said, basically, you are putting two little eggs in too many baskets and nothing looks amazing. I'm like, you probably have a problem with her all the time. And she's like, all the time. I'm like, you need to grow some.
0: Well, I think – well, that's a perfect example right there of if you give them what they want and they pay this little bit amount of money, nothing ever looks good. Like you're doing a little bit of stuff on a whole lot of things. Do one thing and knock it out of the freaking park and say, oh, look, when you invest all the way, as I've asked you to, you can have amazing lips or look, your forehead looks incredible or your gross feet are gone. Not let me give you a half C's on on the whole Z and pray something works because it, especially with neurotoxin, it's either on or it's off. Like you can't, you can't half-ass neurotoxin, guys. I am not even a physician, a PA, an MP, an i I'm a nothing here. And I can tell you, you can't half-ass neurotoxin. You gotta go all in or it won't work. So that's your PSA for the day. Carry on. Sorry.
1: It's true. <laughs> and so and so I think that's, you know, it's just it's always a learning opportunity to make never make assumptions. You don't know. People could say I've been doing this eight years. It doesn't mean they know all the things, you know? And so I think it's super helpful to just ask questions, inquire. See where they are actually on the spectrum of knowledge and what they should know. You know, because we expect people that they do know that. Just because you know it, you expect other people to know it. And I've realized that just, you know, having that dialogue and interaction, even if it sounds slightly mean at the time, it's not personal. There's nothing personal about it. Everything I said is very factual. Um, So keeping it factual and just having that back and forth dialogue and not being afraid to say you know, I, I don't agree with that. So I basically said, you pick six people. We're not doing filler on her. You know, she has a little Marge Simpson. She panicked and said, like, no, no, that's not Marge Simpson. I'm like, it's 100% Marge Simpson. And that's fine. And she said, how do you fix that? And I said, girl, that's a whole other lecture. There's no book that tells you how to fix that. Um, I've charged a lot to fix it, you know. So, um, so I narrowed it down, picked her one person who really – needed it. She's in her 50s. She's dating. She wanted to do two syringes and we know two fifths of a teaspoon, nothing. So I basically said, no, no, we're going to go ham on this person. So that way you can see what these drugs can actually do. And I'm going to have you do split face study. So we're going to go from lateral medial and from superior to inferior all the way down just on the one side until we're done. And then you'll see the difference. And then you'll fix the second side. And she was here for it and super excited. Meanwhile, the one I was mean to, well, not mean, but the one I was honest with and said, you know, we're not doing that. Um, She came running out after I was leaving. And was like, wait, 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 are you can do my Botox. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have another training. No, can't do it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. She has some neurotoxin in there. Bye. You know, so it's not, I don't think patients really get mad, but I said, don't be afraid to Stick by what you know is right because if you can factually prove it and you can show them with like live demonstrations it's just they just don't know you know you expect them to know but they don't know so growing in all sorts of ways is always good
0: well I think when you say I've been doing this for eight years like you have to qualify that because I have people when I was a sales rep even at Galderma who've been doing it for five years you know six years but they had never gone to real training only like a Galderma or an Allergan training. They had never left their clinic to go to like an international convention. They had never gone to like an Aesthetic Next or an Extenders, none of that stuff ever. So it's like, you've been doing it eight years in this little tiny prison of of a practice of yours and you've learned nothing outside of what you can find on YouTube. And while YouTube is great, it's not a substitution for going to cadaver labs, going to ultrasound courses, going to hands-on, you know, it's just not. And so I think we have to really be cautious as an industry to say, what does eight years mean? And are you moonlighting or are you full-time? Because if you're a moonlighter, or you're a physician doing it on Friday night with your wife's friends. That's not eight years in aesthetics. That is moonlighting. And over the course of time, that's equivalent to like one person's full time for less than a year. So you got to qualify. But I think the second part, we discussed this last night and I won't go into details on on the podcast briefly, but you know, thinking about adverse events now, we, you know, just heard about a person very experienced in another country, had a massive AE on stage. We've had people who are here in the U S who we know are like the godmothers of aesthetics have had issues you know, AE is there. It happens. We know it's a real thing. It's very, very real. And as a trainer in the room, there is some onus on you, I think, because you are the senior leader in that room. Whether it is ethically your duty or not is a different concern. Legally your duty or not, again, different concern. But I feel like now if you don't ask those questions, you don't get someone who has a really good backup plan. They have on days on site. They have all the things they need. They have protocols. It's almost a risk to your license, right? It's a risk to you as a person to not To not know that answer, I would not walk in blind. Pardon the pun; I don't mean that. I would not walk in not knowing, because my gosh, the risk to you is just too great, and and into the manufacturer who you're working for, and you know, just into their patient population. Your own—it's just—it's a lot of stuff to think about. So, I think being a trainer now, while it does feel very hip and cool and sexy, it also comes with a lot of responsibility to do the right thing. Whether it's telling Mart Simpson she's a no-go, or having protocols like you gotta—you have to. Mentally do a big checklist when you walk into a practice every time I think to be successful And you get asked back when I mean, you cap out every year way before the end of the, the deadline You'll cap out I think this year mid-year if not before so we know you're being used all the time Because again, I think the reps also depend on you to say hey sally Can you stand up for this practice because they're saying some crazy stuff. That's not real I need you to go show them why what they say does not make any sense And you can do it right the rep can't but you can because you're another medical professional So I just think that there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of a burden on a trainer But I think when you're good at it, you'll get used as you do all the time, so
1: it is, and it's such a blessing. I feel like I always learn something. You know, I always learn something, whether it's whether it's almost that like psychological dance of like interaction, basically like you know how to win friends and influence people, but have a little aesthetic spin on it, um, or something. There's always something that comes out of different trainings and just meeting with a lot of people in their own space. Um, and I almost test the line. I feel like I sort of, like, test the cliff, but I never jump off sort of feeling. And, and as the more, not more daring that I get, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty forward, um, the more connection I feel. The more connection I feel like they feel because I'm not really and just saying, like, here's this. This is for cheeks. This is for lips. This is for glabella see you later. Um, but you can really enhance people's artwork and help them and also help them be more realistic. I think when everybody's in their own space, I mean, I've been blessed to have such a good network of people who really don't think that, you know, we're all competition. We know based on the studies and the um, the census that the majority of people in the United States who are females age 18 and above are not doing aesthetic procedures. So, really, the possibilities are endless. But I really have had a lot of good collaboration. And I think some of it came from, you know, Dr. Bukai, Dr. Carrasco, clinical trials, kind of talking back and forth, doing things that were unthought of combining drugs that weren't that other people hadn't used before. Um, And, and he couldn't have been a better mentor. So when something and I decided to do something, and it's certainly pushing the limit and other physicians would have died he was like great idea that's exactly what he needed you know so it was kind of a good like helping me teeter-tot where you're using your critical thinking skills to enhance an outcome whether it's medically or aesthetic and then understanding that like there may be consequences from here but this may be amazing and I can change a person's life if I do this right Um, and so I think that guidance was super helpful
0: that's how all great inventions are made, right? Like that's how that's how everything good comes is like this could be really awesome or this could be a colossal failure. As long as no one gets hurt, let's give it a whirl. So, you know, I think just having but having the you know, the cojones to say I'm gonna go do it is a different kind of person, right? To say forget the safe zone, not important here. We're gonna go out and be daring and I think it's just like the stock market, cryptocurrency, all these things. When you're daring and you're brave, you get rewarded for it. I mean, that's just the way that's the way that capitalism in general works in a sense. So all that to say, we didn't even get to touch on sculpture. We're at an hour. I think we're over an hour, actually. We didn't even get to touch on sculpture, which which you are the guru. And so, you know, I'm going to let our audience here know that I'm making Sally. She doesn't know it yet. I'm going to make her come to Setic Next and do a whole sculpture bio simulator hands-on workshop. So she's going to be part of our workshop crew. She, she's learning about this right now on air as we're talking.
1: woo Get ready. You can use your median and ulnar nerve. Oh, there you go. So I feel like we... We always use this and this, only because I had median nerve numbing, which which is terrible from using it too much. But now I'm
0: like, ooh, sculpture! I can use my other one. It's so good. Well, you can use these giant syringes, right, that are huge and full of volume, and it's a much different game. And sculpture is a whole different conversation. You said a whole different lecture, but you're out launching that product again. Now it's relaunching, and it's such a wonderful product. We all love it. We talked about it last week quite a bit, too, but you're kind of on the forefront leading that. So we'll definitely have you in September talking about that. If you guys hear Sally coming to your market to do a training with Galderma, you know, she's doing something somewhere, a seminar or whatever, symposium, you better get your butt there because it's worth it, I promise. And by the way, she tells good jokes on stage and she's really funny. So it's a fun, fun place to be.
1: (laughs) I don't think I tell jokes. This is hilarious. That's exactly what. So somebody in my old practice went to go see me. Um, I think you, we did the um, beauty, beauty something lunch, remember? Um,
0: Oh, um, yes. Um, Bold bold and beautiful. Whatever. Yeah, Yeah. That
1: one. So we're in San Antonio, Texas, and somebody from our, you know, practice that once we merged and all the things, and she said, I'm going to support you. I'm going to come out and see you. She's obviously not, she's more in the back end, so she doesn't see any of the aesthetic work and like speaking or anything. So she sits in the back of the room, watches me give my lecture, and I think it was on like HAs and It was cannula, and wasn't stuff.
0: it? We were doing cannula?
1: Yes, maybe it was. Yes. And, and so I finished and I had one and then something, something to break. And then I had another one. So in between we took pictures and she was like, oh my gosh, Sally, you're so funny. Did you write those jokes? And I was like, what jokes? And she's like, "It was hilarious. And I was like, it's not joke. It's true.
0: <laughs>
1: it's my real life.
0: Uh, well, I think it it that's is. a part it's, of it. It's,
1: it's from patients. I mean, it's all their stuff. I mean, you know, I'm blessed enough to have real fun, um, Sometimes high energy, but I mean, every story is real, but I thought it was so funny because I'm like, yes, you think I'm funny, but I didn't write in a joke because I don't know how to deliver a line very well, but it actually just happened, you know?
0: I think it's better when it's organic. Isn't that what they say about speakers? Whenever it just comes out of you and you don't prepare it or plan it, it sounds more, I don't know. It's off the cuff, yes. But you are hilarious on on stage. You crack me up. You're so funny, and your little voice is so cute, and you just seem so nice. But hey. she, will like I said, gosh, put a dagger in your heart if you're not a good injector. She'll <laughs> tell you. How, she'll tell you to walk the line. But we're at an hour, and for the record, you have been a fabulous guest, and I was so glad to have you on our podcast today because just getting to talk to you for an hour, you know, like actually on the phone or you know live, is wonderful. I never get to see you anymore. I know. But we're gonna have you for sure to set up next. Yes. Give us your Instagram handle, give us your practice website. How do we find you to learn more about all the things that you're doing?
1: So, my Instagram handle is Sally Santos PA, and then my practice is Ella Med. and uh, my website is Ella Med put on by all the good people that I networked with um, from uh, um, Aesthetic Next last year. So, that's how I met Cameron. Their web services are awesome. So I'm excited about that. He did a great job.
0: Yeah. Shout out to Growth99. We love those guys. They're fantastic. Yeah. Shameless plug for Cameron Hampill.
1: There you go. Try <laughs> not into answer- I'm so bad. I'm like the worst. I'm like emails. Ugh. I More know. emails, but it's fabulous. They did an amazing job, even though they know I'm not tech savvy.
0: That's what got to make it easy for everybody. That's, you know, you said AR is hard earlier. It is hard in the beginning to figure it out. You're like, ah, oh, it's just like filler. It's like, ah, oh, figured it out. Okay, I got it now. I'm good to go. It
1: is. It's so much easier. And you know, it's funny, not that we keep going. I'll just make one last comment. But one time Dr. Justin Harper mentioned, I heard him say on stage, and I didn't understand it at the time. He said, you know, like, I know it's weird and people think it's weird, but I see my patients and I do all the notes myself and I check them out myself and I was I was like, huh, that's interesting, and it is weird, you know, and then now I'm here, and I'm like, I can do this better in two seconds, like, well, not two seconds, maybe like 25 seconds or 30, but at least I can put it in all my notes, and I'm like, no wonder he does that, it's so easy, and it's so nice, the patients are in the room, they have the little patient wallet, I mean, once you build the platform, it's phenomenal and so much better than old EMRs that we all used to have to deal with. Um, so I'm not mad about it. Just the building platform was a fun challenge for me.
0: And you cut a headcount. If you're the solo business owner, you can forgo the medical scribe that you're paying, whatever you're paying per month or you know per week for her or for him, because you can just use a dot phrase. But that's a different that's a different podcast, guys. We'll go into that in a oh, different for day. Sure.
1: That enough. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you how to get some free labor. I have all sorts of new tricks. No shortages of employees for
0: me. Well, she'll be joining us in the business section of Aesthetic Next for also to (laughs) tell us about free labor and negotiating your contracts. (laughs) Well, for those of us here at Aesthetic Record, For the Record, we will see you guys next week on episode nine. And Sally, thank you again so much for coming on. And I cannot wait to see you very, very soon.
1: Yes, sounds great. Thank you so much.
0: Bye, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.